Someday, the sky and the earth are going to wear out. My words won't. Jesus speaking says, Someday, the sky and the earth are going to wear out. My words won't. The exact hour and day, no one knows that, so keep a sharp lookout. It's like a man who takes a trip, leaving home and putting his servant in charge, each assigned a task, and commanding the gatekeeper to stand watch. So, stay at your post, watching. You have no idea when the homeowner is returning, whether evening, midnight, dawn, when the rooster crows, or morning. You don't want him showing up unannounced with you asleep on the job. I say to you, and I'm saying to it all, to all stay at your post, keep watch. This is the Advent season. It's a time of preparation for the Feast of Christmas, which begins Christmas Day and goes for 12 days after that. Advent has historically been a time to prepare our hearts in quiet and stillness. <laughs> the season leading up to Christmas, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> Nevertheless, it has been a time in which we are taught to wait and to quiet ourselves and to be alert. The word Advent itself means coming. Historically, we have celebrated the coming of Jesus, the coming of the one who shows us the heart of God, the intersection into human time and space of the way and the truth and the life, the way to see, the way to live, the way to love, the way to restoration and the way to redemption and the way to healing and the way to recovery. And in this Advent season, we celebrate this past coming of Jesus. But it's also a time to focus our attention on the present and future comings of God as well. At Advent time, we focus our attention on the comings of God to us in everyday life. When we are in search of wisdom and the Spirit of God would come to us with wisdom, when we are in search of truth or we need a discernment or we're listening for the inner voice, we are coming to this place of preparation for that coming of the Spirit of God to us. And those who've gone before us on our journey uh, have set apart this time of year as a time of preparation for ourselves to settle down for watchfulness, for alertness, to let that alertness of our souls bring us to this place that the text mentions. Be watchful. Stay your post. Keep your eye peeled. Be on the lookout. Stay alert. Stand watch. For the Spirit of God will come to you. Now, this passage is one of the troubling ones for theologians and for ministers, and it does somewhat trouble me because I don't know exactly the interpretive grid to bring to it. Um, some theologians consider it to be a literal prediction of the end of time. Others consider it to be uh, a time in which Jesus was using the Jewish apocalyptic genre of literature to use veiled language to talk about the end of Rome and the coming of God at this time when the Roman oppression would be thrown off and the kingdom of God would be established. On the, in defense of the latter, that was a common use of language at the time that um, it was very difficult to 
directly rebel against the Roman Empire because you would end up dead. So we, the Jewish people had developed an elaborate language of veiled symbols and obscured references. But whether you think this text is a reference to the end of time or whether you think this text is a reference to the end of one particular experience of oppression at the hands of a foreign government, in each case, the message of the text is clear to us. You're waiting. You're waiting for the fulfillment of something that you have not yet experienced. And while you wait, live faithfully. You're waiting. You're waiting for the fulfillment of something you've not yet experienced. And while you are waiting, live faithfully. You await God coming to you in some manner or another. You await God to come and fulfill this dream or to fulfill this aspiration, or you await God coming and setting right what has gone wrong. You await the revelation of the divine within you. You await this point of growth or maturing within your life or the people you love. You are waiting, and while you wait, live faithfully. And I think that makes this text something valuable for us to meditate upon this Advent. Perhaps you are waiting for the interior peace of God to settle within you as you come to a greater awakening of the indwelling spirit while you wait for that live faithfully. Perhaps you have a strong sense of our society being brought to justice and righteousness and compassion and you're waiting for a critical mass of people to transcend their selfishness and live from their divine centers and while you're waiting for this to be realized, live faithfully. Perhaps you are waiting for an understanding of the mysteries of life that are revealed to us when we find out what happens at the other side of death and you will find that out when you breathe your last. But while you are waiting, live faithfully. Some years ago I was reading a memoir of a pastor who was ministering at the time just in the years just before I was born in the mid and the late 50s. And he told this story of driving through the Deep South in the years after the uh, Brown versus Board of uh, Education desegregation uh, decision, but before the Civil Rights Movement was in full swing in the 60s, and he was going cross-country by himself, and he drove through the night, and he stopped at a diner before dawn for breakfast, and it was a small town, and while he was waiting for his breakfast at his stool there at the counter, an older man came in, an African-American man, and set a couple of stools away from him. And the owner of the diner, a white man, a southerner of his generation, uh, was quite upset with the recent Supreme Court decision and was very demeaning in the way that he treated his customer. He was resentful and he was rude and he clearly did not like the apple cart being upset and he hated it and he hated the man at the breakfast counter and he insulted him and he degraded him and expressed his racism in the harshest of words. And while this is going on, the minister is sitting on his stool at his breakfast wrestling within himself. Will I speak up? Will I confront this man for his shameful behavior? Will I stand in solidarity for the man who's being mistreated? And back and forth he went inside of himself. And long this process he's thinking to himself if I go along and don't make waves and don't make a scene that will keep the peace but if I make a scene I'll risk some kind of reprisal 
and he didn't have much time because the customer bolted his breakfast down as quickly as he could and he left the diner as one would do in such unpleasant circumstances and the minister succumbed to the pressure of that day and said nothing. I quietly paid my bill, he said. I left the diner and I went to my car and as I walked across the parking lot somewhere in the distance, I heard a rooster crow. Now when I read that story, um, that moment caught me powerfully. It still catches me powerfully because every one of us have had moments in which we have shamed ourselves. Every one of us have had moments in which we have failed in our most cherished values. Every one of us have had failures, but few of our failures have been as powerfully highlighted as this man's failures were. When the Gospel of Mark was written and this text that I read you this morning was put to paper, Peter's betrayal of Jesus when the rooster crowed had become part of oral tradition and everyone knew it. Everyone knew about his failure. Everyone knew about his shame. Everyone had had time to consider their own failures, to consider the times when they had folded under pressure. Everyone had had time to imagine their own shame and their own guilt and their own embarrassment. And everyone knew how the story ended, knew how Peter, under this heavy load of guilt and shame, had gone to return to fishing and had met the risen Christ and had been transformed by grace, had been restored by love. Everyone knew all of this when Mark wrote this passage. And so, when Mark chose from the many things that Jesus had to say, he included this saying that included us being at our post when the rooster crows. He was writing something informed by the oral tradition of his day. Also, when Mark wrote this gospel, everyone thought that the kingdom of God would have been established by then. It was 30 years after the death the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The risen Christ was going to come and establish the kingdom of God, and they didn't know what that meant. They were probably still holding to the idea that it meant freedom from Rome. They were probably still thinking that Jesus would come, but their, their ideas were transforming and morphing as they waited every day and realized that that kingdom might, might not have been what we thought it was, but whatever it was, we certainly didn't think it would still be, wait, we'd still be waiting for it 30 years on And so they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for something that they were certain should have been there by then. And to these people, Mark is saying, Jesus left us with a job to tap into our divine centers and to make things right on the earth, to find God within us and then to bring light to darkness in the earth around us. To be salt on the earth, bringing out the God flavors. To be light on the earth, bringing out the God colors. And now Jesus is gone, and he's been gone a whole lot longer than we had in mind. We are still waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God. We're waiting for God to come to us. And while we wait, he is saying, we must be vigilant. While we wait and wait, we must remain at our posts While we wait, we must keep doing the things Jesus taught us to be doing. Caring for the poor, the widows, the orphans, the strangers, the outsiders. 
We must be bringing light to darkness. We must continue to manifest love and righteousness on the earth. We don't know when the kingdom of God will be established. We don't know when this thing is going to happen. It could be morning. It could be evening. It could be dawn when the rooster crows. And we don't want to hear that crowing and be found lulled to sleep. We don't want to hear the rooster crow and be shamed. We cannot allow the kingdom of darkness to prevail on our watch. So be careful, Mark is telling his fellow followers of Jesus. Do right and keep doing right. And all of this, this minister in the 50s knew. All of this he had studied and all of this that he had taught to his community. And when he walked out of the diner, and he heard the crow of this rooster, the implications would have been staggering. The expectations of the kingdom of our God are that we challenge injustice. It's what we do as followers of Jesus. The expectations of the kingdom of God is that we stand for the disempowered and we stand with the disempowered. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. It is the expectation of the kingdom of God that we stand up for those who are mistreated and we make right what is wrong and we bring light to darkness and we are not found sleeping at our post. And he was. And when I read the story, I was moved because I could relate. The nudge has come to me and I have been asleep at my post. Like you, the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do right, to do good, to heal the earth, to establish the kingdom of God in my small corner of the world, and I have found something else to do. Like you, the Holy Spirit has prompted me to tend to my souls that I would be available for the work of the kingdom, to drop this activity so that I would have more bandwidth, to do this thing, to live that way, and I have found something else to do. The story reminded me of the times that the nudge has come and to follow it has been difficult. The times that the prompting, the inner direction has come and it has been demanding to follow it. And you've had these moments too. These times when the inner prompting of doing the work of the kingdom living the life that is called to us, faces an equal and opposite pressure from without. There is a battle between the light within and the darkness without. There is a battle between obedience and disobedience, and things happen. And we face these crossroad moments of decision. And the thing is, those crossroad moments come to us when we're right in the middle of ordinary life. When we're right in the middle consumed with having young babies when we're right in the middle of a career that is making unreasonable demands upon us when we're right in the middle of psychological pain or right in the middle of emotional tumult and turmoil the nudges come right when life is happening right when our days are ticking along and the text indicates this is the time in these waiting times these living normal days times when the nudge comes, the prompting comes, and the right thing to do presents itself. And when it does, Mark is saying, do the right thing. Be at your post. Do good. Be at your post. 
live faithfully, be at your post, respond to the interior voice. Now, when our ancestors established Advent, they understood something. They understood that God is always at work within us. The Spirit of God is always whispering to us. The Spirit of God is always moving within us. And so they set this time of year for us to train ourselves to be watchful for that which always is to be attentive to the interior voice of God that is always speaking to our souls, always guiding, always challenging, but we become so deafened to it because we're used to finding something else to do. Many times I talk to people who are in some of the most troubled times in their lives. And often while we will be talking about this particular pain, I will find myself pointing to them, pointing out to them that in the midst of this trouble, do you see how the universe is conspiring to make you divine? Do you see how if you allow it, this pain that you are going through is going to unseat this construct that is born of your false self? Do you see how this horrible difficulty that you're going through is dismantling even as we speak this thing that is causing so much pain in your life? And I will tell them that's always happening The universe is always conspiring to make you like God. It's just that in painful times like this, it's a bit more obvious. The circumstances of our lives are always conspiring to make us divine. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God is always at work, always directing our lives, always reshaping our human society. And if we are at our posts, if we but have ears to hear, if we are attentive to the nudges and if we respond to them faithfully, the divine will make us like God. The divine will cleanse and wash our souls. The divine will heal and free and transform our minds and our hearts. And the divine will lead us into newness of life. And the divine will reshape the city of Raleigh and the place that you work and Wake County and North Carolina and the United States and the world shape it into the likeness of the kingdom of God if we are at our posts. This is the universal testimony of the saints. This is the universal testimony of the scriptures and this is my own personal testimony from my own life and from the lives of countless people that I have watched The Spirit of God is always at work. But to experience this always present work of the Holy Spirit requires of us a posture that is laid out in this text, this posture of vigilance. Beside the inner voice, there is another tide that is constantly pushing against us, the tide that is always resisting the conspiracy of the universe. And in this minister's life, It was the tide to the pressure to acquiesce to injustice, to acquiesce to pressure to keep the peace, to go along, to get along. It is the the pressure to conform to the in-group, the pressure to conform to the race, the pressure to conform to society, the, the pressure to conform to social expectations. And in that pressure that is pushing against that which is within that is the spirit of God to establish the kingdom of God he succumbed and that pressure remains upon us today and other pressures as well you might be facing the pressure as many of us are 
of overvaluing stuff. That's what we talked about in our lesson, the suffocating power of stuff, to conform to the exterior identity, to define ourselves by our possessions, to define ourselves by our status established socioeconomically, to define ourselves by our education level, to have stuff, to chase stuff, and to fear, and to be working like crazy, to avoid potentially losing stuff, and to have the status, to have the comfort, and under this pressure, under this tremendous pressure, we might find that the interior voice would speak to zig, but we would zag because this pressure is so great. That might be the pressure you faced. You might also face the pressure that is socially imposed upon us to overfill our calendars. Too many options are available to us. Too many good things now present themselves to us. We have options that we have never had at any time in history, and we have so many good options, and we take them in, and we take them in, and we take them in, and we take them in until we are drowning under these good things and too much too many options available and too many too little understanding of the discernment of when we should say no and too little teaching on the courage to stand up and let something go that we can't imagine the implications of letting go that we should let go. That might be the pressure you face. You might face the pressure that we, many of us, face of an information glut, and particularly the information glut about need in the world around us. Because information is so readily accessible, you know now about the need in Haiti and you know now about the need in Africa, and you know now about the need in South Asia, and you know about the need among the homeless here at home, and you know about the need of people with AIDS, you know about the need of people in prison populations, you know about the need in Wake County for the food drive, you know about the need of families that are breaking under the pressure of this economic downturn, you know about it. And under this glut of information that comes to us, there is this pressure within us to just be lulled into shutting it all out and making it all go away and doing nothing because the enormity of everything is so great. And there would be the pressure to do nothing because we can't do everything. Or maybe you would face the same kind of personal integrity pressure that this minister faced. Will I do the right thing when I can easily get away with the wrong thing? How about when I face extreme consequences if I do the right thing? How about if I lose something precious to me if I do the right thing? How about if I face scathing rejection if I do the right thing? Will I do the right thing? Will I be honest when it is costly? Will I be compassionate when it is demanding? Will I simplify my life enough to have the bandwidth to help those around me who are hurting? And when the nudge comes, will I be honest with my spouse after all these years that I have deceived him or deceived her? Will I be generous with my dollars after all these years of establishing the habits that I have and the fears? Will I forgive my brother after all these years when I have not spoken to him? And now the nudge comes and the prompting comes. When the prompting comes, will I be at my post? Will I have the fortitude? Will I have the courage? Will I have the willingness to do the right thing? We don't choose the crisis moments of our lives. They just come when they come. We don't choose the crossroads moments of our lives. They just come when they come. We're sitting at a diner and the moment is upon us. We're in a fuss with our spouse and the Spirit of God whispers to us and the moment is upon us. 
We're fretting over paying the bills, and instantly we see what we haven't seen before, and the moment presents itself. And in that moment, the way that we have seen people, or the way that we have seen self, or the way that we have seen the world that has been the way that we have seen things since our childhood is now challenged, and we realize that that way of experiencing reality has a stranglehold on me, and it is killing me. And on that day, when we see what we have not seen, we face a crossroad, what will we do? Will we wade into that reality, and as demanding as it is to bring about change and transformation, will we go toward it, or will we allow our false selves to surreptitiously look the other way, to move on, to keep our soul toxins comfortably right where they are because it feels so right, and just find something else to do? An opportunity to change presents itself. Change within our souls, change within our beliefs, change within our personal wholeness, and what will we do? An opportunity comes to change the dynamic in the workplace where we spend so much of our time, change on our jobs. An opportunity presents itself for change in the hurting uh, people of our city, perhaps change through the nonprofit that is helping those who need our help, and the Holy Spirit comes and nudges, and when that nudge comes, the conspiracy is now on. We can't choose the moment that the nudge comes. We can't choose the moment the crisis comes. We can't choose the moment that the enlightenment comes. We can't choose the moment we see what we did not see, but what we can do is resolve this day and every day between now and then that when that moment comes... When the crisis presents itself, it will be my intent to do the right thing. When that moment comes, the price that needs to be paid to experience wholeness and freedom, the price that needs to be paid to do what is right, the price that needs to be paid to follow that interior prompting of God, I will do it. I will do the right thing. Do that... And the Spirit of God will conspire you to take you where you need to go at a pace that you can sustain it and handle it. You will find yourself becoming like God. Do that. Establish that you will be responsive. And over time, you will find that your little corner of the world will indeed become the kingdom of God. Ignore the nudge. Turn from the nudge because it's so difficult. Be distracted from the nudge and find something else to do and you will remain where you are and your little corner of the world will become not the kingdom of God. This minister that I told you about, he was given a precious and powerful gift. He walked into a moment and he succumbed to inertia and he succumbed to avoidance and the rooster crowed And he couldn't avoid the implications, and that was a gift. He was afforded the privilege of seeing himself with absolute clarity, square on, all of his denial stripped away, all of his betrayal and rationalization laid bare, and his shameful avoidance of the kingdom call was clear to him, and his regrets were presented in stark clarity. But that kind of clarity is rare. Most of us don't get those kinds of opportunities very often. Most of the days that we live are much more cloudy and muddled than that. We rarely get to see ourselves in such stark clarity, so we must take advantage of the moments when they come. 
we must take advantage of the subtle whispers when they come. Now, if this minister had allowed himself to walk past that moment, to get distracted and to think about the oil that his car needed, to start thinking about how far he'd get by the time he got to lunchtime, to begin in, to get engrossed in the search for a gas station, all of which would readily have presented themselves as potential distractions so that he didn't have to think about his shame. Had he allowed himself to walk past that moment, the universe would have kept on conspiring to make him divine. And the universe would have kept on conspiring to make things on earth as they are in heaven. He just would have been a little more deafened to the conspiracy. And he would have been a little less likely to sense a nudge the next time it came. And he would have been a little more unlikely to have experienced divine healing, divine transformation, the life and love of God calling him to his destiny. As it was, the diner's racial hatred remained unchallenged. As it was, the mistreated customer remained undefended. If he ignored the nudge, the likelihood was that his life, that he would become light and life to the world around him, would be radically diminished. If we walk past the moments of divine call, if we walk past the moments of divine awakening, if we walk past the very clear call to humility that bubbles up inside of us right when we're in the midst of an argument with our spouse, if we walk right past that very clear call to forgiveness when we have been so hurt, if we walk right past that call to love in the throes of a time when it would be so easy to be prejudiced or to be judgmental, we will callous our hearts. If we walk past the nudge to give our dollars when we fear about our income, our hearts become calloused. And when we walk past these moments, we damage our souls and we damage the world that would have been the recipient of the transformed self. So it's Advent. It's the time of year we prepare ourselves for these comings of God. It's the time when we prepare ourselves for these crossroad moments when they present themselves. It's these time when we prepare ourselves. And so this Advent, I encourage you to stir up within yourself the resolve to obey the nudge when it comes. To be at your post when the Holy Spirit whispers to you. When you discern what would be new in life. When you discern what needs to be laid down and what needs to be picked up. When you discern the interior prompting that tells you this is the time to treat that person accordingly. That you would be ready to do the right thing when it presents itself. That you would be ready to go back and make right those things that or promptings and nudges from the past that you still have the possibility and potential of making right, I encourage you this Advent to be ready. The Holy Spirit of God is always moving. Be watchful. Be present. Be awake. Listen carefully and obey tenaciously.
So Holy Spirit of God, open our eyes to moments this week, this season, this year that is before us. And help us to be people who walk in them, who stand ready for them and then take advantage of them when they come. Help us to be not distracted, to not find something else to do, to not avoid those often uncomfortable moments, but to allow them to be transformative, redemptive, and change us to be citizens of this kingdom of yours. Be it so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.